And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hey folks, if you've been tuning in over the last couple of months, you've heard all about the GameTime app and how it can save you some serious cash on last-minute tickets to sports, concerts, and all types of shows. The Canucks have a home game right out of the Christmas break. The Los Angeles Kings are in town. Beyond that, the Chicago Blackhawks. And then a rematch of the 1994 Stanley Cup Final. Canucks will be wearing their black throwbacks when the Rangers are in town in early January as well. So uh, there are three games that you may want to think about if you're looking for tickets uh, right out of the Christmas break. And GameTime is hooking you up for the holidays with a $10 credit. Here's what you do. You download the GameTime app in the Google Play or App Store, click on the My Ticket section of the app, create an account, then under the Billing section, redeem the code THEATHLETIC. Once again, that's THEATHLETIC, all one word, for $10 off your first purchase. That's free money, people. Credit is only available for the first 1,000 people who redeem the code, and it expires at the end of the year. That's December 31st, 2019. So make moves quick and score last-minute tickets. Final podcast before the holidays. Canucks with one game to go. We don't generally record on game days, but look at the calendar. I don't think uh, either one of us had the appetite to come in here on the 24th, and we certainly weren't coming in on Christmas Day. So here we are recording as the Canucks get set to host the Edmonton Oilers. Final meeting of the season between these teams. The season series comes to an end before Christmas. The Oilers have won two of three against the Canucks, so a chance for the Canucks to square that with two all-important points up for grabs. And Drancer... Uh, who knows what happens in the game tonight, but uh, the Canucks have picked up a couple of badly needed victories here that at the very least have stabilized things here in the city of Vancouver. Yeah, and you know, I think we're one Pedersen and Markstrom performance away from being able to credibly and with no smile on our face say that Jacob Markstrom and Elias Pedersen saved Christmas in Vancouver this year. And you know, that's how good they've been, right? You look at Markstrom's last seven games, as you tweeted the other day, you know, 9-2-3, and 
the fact is he's been good enough that they should probably have more points out of this run of games. And, and Pedersen, I mean, you know, I think I go back to that Vegas game and the gritty goal he kind of scored there. And, you know, actually even further than that, the overtime winner that he had against Carolina. And the way that he's been playing, the way that that line's been dominating play, you know, that's been a huge reason for the Canucks sort of treading water over a seven-game stretch that at points looked like they might be, you know, about to slip really quite far out of it. I think Pedersen's almost, you know, Pedersen and Markstrom have pulled them out of that by the scruff of their neck. And, you know, those are the kinds of performances you need, especially at this time of the year and especially in a knife fight Pacific Division. Nicely done. If everybody's in the holiday spirit, why not? <laughs> Pound away. Uh, I saw you use side-eye in the, uh, the it was your story on Josh Levo, I think. So I, I took a holiday shot there as well. Uh, one of the strangest games that we'll probably see all season in here on Saturday night with the Pittsburgh Penguins coming to town. Not only was there the segment that never happened, there were no shots from the visitors in the opening 20 minutes, and then all the shots in the second period to go from no shots on goal in the first period to out shooting the Canucks 20 to 6 and you talked about Jacob Markstrom man there have been some stretches within games and you think back to the third period we talked about that on the last podcast but that third period you know Vegas had 19 shots on the Canucks and Markstrom allowed just the one goal but made some huge stops again you could feel the ice kind of tilting in the Penguins favor and Jacob Markstrom was spectacular but uh, just a strange night of hockey all around. Yeah, and you know, it's not a flattering thing to say about the Canucks defense that that was not the first, you know, 4-1 or sort of game where the Canucks scored four and where it still felt like Jacob Markstrom stole it, right? But, you know, that sort of remained an issue overall is, is the club's defensive permissiveness. And, you know, when you look through sort of what they're going to need to do over the second half of this season to, you know, secure a playoff berth, whether it's through the wild card or you know, the third sort of berth in the Pacific Division, you know, getting back to roughly league average defensively has got to be at the very top of their Christmas wish list because this team's now bottom five in the NHL in terms of the rate of scoring chances they're surrendering at five on five. You know, the, the PK has been a little bit too permissive. Obviously, they killed off four or five Penguins opportunities, which they'll take, especially considering how the game went in late November. But nonetheless, Pittsburgh had a lot of, you know, attempts a lot of shots, they, they averaged a shot a minute. I mean, that's a really high rate of, of shots to be generating. And, and Markstrom kind of has, has bailed them out. If, you know, if you're going to get a 9-2-3 stretch out of your goaltender, like you got to be racking up points. And the only way for this Canucks team to get back to that is if they're you know, able to control games a little bit better, a little bit more like they were earlier in the season, in, in October and the first half of November. Um, because you know, if they can't do that, if they continue to sort of have this slide in form five on five, and that slide's continued despite two positive results here this week. You know, I saw after the Pittsburgh game, for example, where the Canucks were so ventilated in the second, they've actually finally dropped below 50% in adjusted Corsi four percentage. That's been a marker that you know I tend to watch really closely for an indication of how sturdy a team is five on five. For the most part, Vancouver's shown really well by that all season. Um, but you know, the fact is they're form in that area has deteriorated over the past probably five weeks like this is a five-week trend that got sharper uh, sort of toward the end of November's sort of stabilized a bit but nonetheless they really need to find a way to start controlling games again otherwise you know it's just gonna be hard for them to rack up the points they need right and 
you know, for a while there in November, and rightly so. I mean, they pointed to injuries, certainly down the middle, right? Beagle and Sutter were out, but Horvat had taken on this uh, work ro- workload that we saw him have to endure a year ago. But the difference this time around is last year, Horvat was able to take on the workload and be productive. Something just doesn't feel right around Bo Horvat right here, right now. And look, Evgeny Malkin didn't run the show in Vancouver the way he did in Pittsburgh. So, you know, it's impossible to say that the Canucks didn't do a decent job ultimately of preventing Malkin from being the difference in a hockey game in here. But you look at Horvat, you look at the underlying numbers on a nightly basis right now, and this all kind of leads into... You know, the return of Louis Erickson the other night, sort of by necessity, because the news since we last recorded is, you know, terrible on a lot of levels for Josh Levo. You've written about Josh Levo. You've written about sort of his uh, unique contract status, and this is a contract year for him, and you just you feel for a guy, broken kneecap. They're saying two to three months. Well, there's barely three months left in the season, so if it's closer to the three than the two, you know, who knows if you see Josh Levo again, you hope for a speedy recovery and you hope he can get back in this lineup. But uh, in his absence, Louis Erickson stepped in. Here's Bo Horvat, who isn't exactly feeling it these days. And I don't think Louis the answer for Bo. I don't think Louis the answer long-term for the Vancouver Canucks. So there's a lot there. But what do you see when you watch Bo Horvat right here, right now? I think I see a little bit less, well, no, I think I, the main thing that I noticed that's different between the Bo Horvat I see this year and the Bo Horvat we've seen in years past, and especially over the last two years, once he sort of made that step as a five-on-five piece and, and as a two-way player, is I see a lot less speed. And I think that that's partly that he's been playing so much minutes, so many minutes earlier in the season, he was relied on in a different way. I think he's maybe gotten to the habit of conserving energy a little bit. And I think that has resulted in us seeing a lot less of the, you know, offensive production off the rush, less of those bull rushes to the net, doing just less of those things that he needs to do to be productive. And, you know, I wonder if you know, they need to figure out, figure out something where it's like, hey, you're not going to play more than 13 minutes at even strength. And you, you, know, you can never make a player that promise, but almost even just to tell him that, just so that he can play unencumbered by sort of concerns about his energy level. Uh, you know, I, I wonder if there's something to do with that, because that's sort of the thing that's been most noticeable to me. I just don't see that, you know, Horvat leading the rush the way we have in, in years past. And, you know, that's a part of Bo Horvat's game that I didn't think he'd necessarily have when he came out of junior. I remember being surprised by his foot speed. You know, I was Eastern based back then. I saw him play a fair bit with the London Knights, and he played this really sort of deliberate pattern recognition, almost like a holding midfielder style at the OHL level, and he was able to do that. At the NHL level, to be effective, or when he's been most effective, he's really been aggressive and, and using those feet. And I just don't think we've seen a ton of that. I think there's probably a variety of reasons for it. But when you look over, you know, just this past week, for example, he didn't have a shot against Montreal. He, you know, was outshot 12 to 1 on the ice in the Vegas game. And then, you know, he did a decent job against Evgeny Malkin in that Malkin's, uh, with Malkin on the ice, the Penguins only had four even strength shots, um, you know, while matched up against Horvat on Saturday night. But, you know, in a lesser sort of run against the McCann line, he was outshot 03. So you'd say, Overall, against the Penguins, he was outshot 1-7 to against top top six competition. I mean, if that's a trend line for this team, they're not going to be able 
to win enough, like period. Like that needs to be reversed um, or, or the sort of underlying logic of this team with a you know, dynamic top six that's hard to match up against will be completely undermined. And I don't know what it's going to take, but I suspect you know, if anyone's sort of likely to benefit from a Christmas reset here, it's going to be Horvat. Right, I would agree with you that there that you know he has he shouldered a ton of the load, but now that they've got Beagle back certainly and Sutter was back and now he's disappeared again and there's you know, a little bit of uh, a vagueness to what's wrong with Brandon Sutter, but we were told the other day that you know he wouldn't be back till after the holiday break. I know there was some skepticism in the market that maybe that was you know all code word for uh, a healthy scratch and they just didn't want to. Uh, have him have to deal with that, but it does seem like there is something that's bothering Brandon Sutter again, so uh, no Sutter against the Edmonton Oilers, but they do have Beagle back, and that beagle schaller mott line I thought had another solid night against Pittsburgh the other night, and uh, you know who knows what it is with that combo, but I think we've uh, clearly identified and established that that is the optimal fourth line for the Vancouver Canucks, given the players that they've got here right now. But it comes back to, and I just want to get your thoughts on Levo, because he's a guy that you and I have talked yeah. about, and I kind of came around. I, I'll admit, I was a little slow in seeing the value of Josh Levo to this team this year, but... You know, and, and a lot of that, I think, is because there isn't much noise around Josh Levo, right? Like, he doesn't bring it on himself. He's a quiet guy. Uh, we don't hear from him an awful lot. Uh, but he just gets out there and lets his actions speak for themselves. And there's no doubt that, you know, he's a guy that Travis Green trusts. They love his work along the boards, puck battles, uh, you know, almost all the metrics. Uh, he was positive by almost any standard there. And he's gone for, for two months. So uh, what about the loss of Levo? And then, as we said, I mean, it's the holiday break. Louis was here. They put Louis on that line with Horvat and Pearson in Edmonton for the back-to-backs, you know, with the sole purpose of trying to be a matchup line. So I kind of understood with the Penguins in town why Erickson maybe made a little bit of sense, and he'll probably be there against the Oilers yet again. But out of the Christmas break, Louis Erickson is not the long-term solution in that spot for the Vancouver Canucks. No. So let's start with Levo. The thing about... Josh Levo is the way that he helps a team control play. And I've already talked about Vancouver's sort of five-on-five game declining here a little bit over the past six weeks. You know, one guy who sort of was standing athwart that trend yelling no was was Levo, right? And when you look at, for example, Levo's performance alongside Bo Horvat, you know, it's like a 180-minute sample. The Canucks have controlled 54% of shot attempts. That's kind of close to what we'd expect Horvat to do based on his career norms and based on the upgrades that this club's made along the blue line. When we look at how Horvat's performed without Levo, it's 46%. And that's like what Horvat, what we would have expected from Horvat as a 19-year-old, right? In his first NHL season on that fourth line, you know, uh, uh, back the last time the Canucks made the playoffs. So... You know, Levo's impact on Horvat specifically is worth monitoring here because that's where his loss is likely to be felt the keenest. And that's where Vancouver's losses in terms of their five-on-five form have sort of shown through the most between sort of October and the first 10 days of November and, and the seven weeks since. So, you know, that's sort of why Levo's absence could be felt even more keenly than, you know, you might expect but just from the fact that he's a you know 40 point guy who's obviously a credible middle six winger who was beginning to fit in well on the power play so you know it's a tough loss for for the Canucks obviously a brutal loss for a guy who was on pace for a 40 point season in a contract year has had a really unique tough 
NHL career path to this point was going to be on a very short list of, you know, group six free agents to hit the market with fewer than 200 games of experience. And, you know, if we don't see him play again this season, I think that's going to really hurt the amount of the amount of value that he's going to have if he'd been a big part of a Canucks stretch run into the playoffs even I mean all bets would have been off in terms of what he might have been able to make you know hopefully for him he still gets an opportunity to influence events in that manner uh, because clearly he's earned it and and played hard and and been a good soldier for this team Um, but if this is the last we see of him if this is the last the, the industry sees of him this season you know that's going to be a really tough break for a guy who had been you know, putting it all together and, and putting him in a position, putting himself in a position to really, uh, you know, set himself up for life here with his next contract. Back to that, back to that fourth line, though. I, I mean, look, I wish people were more interested in reading about Jay Beagle, Tim Schaller, and Tyler Mott, because I'd love to get deep into the weeds on what it is that makes that line work. But when you consider the way that they played, you know, nearly eight minutes of top six competition against the Pittsburgh Penguins and permitted two shots, like, how do you make the Evgeny Malkin and Jared McCann lines essentially perform like they're a fourth line, right? Like, that's an unbelievable uh, value to the Canucks. And, and one of the reasons it's so valuable is that all of a sudden you've got, you know, Elias Pettersson spending a grand total of two and a half minutes against Pittsburgh's top six in that game on Saturday. I mean, that's a massive win for the Canucks, no matter how you slice it, no matter how Bo Horvat plays. Uh, we saw the same thing against Vegas. They got sicked on that Marsh so line in the third period. They began to surrender a few more shots, but earlier in the game, matched up against the Stasny line with Alex Tuck, you know, they didn't allow a shot against in the opening 40 minutes. It, it, the way that that line can change the circumstances for one of Horvat or Pedersen's group because of their ability to ugly up the game, right? And, and Tyler Mott told me post-game, we kind of just enjoy the ugly parts of the game. It's like, great, you know, if you're able to find a line that can, with some degree of consistency, and it's not going to work every night. We saw that in St. Louis earlier this season, which would kind of be sort of their one game in nine as a line that didn't kind of go their way. But if they're able to do that on a somewhat consistent basis, it's extremely valuable. And it's not valuable because of what they do on their own. It's valuable because of how it changes the circumstances for Vancouver's top six, you know, in, in such a way so that they should be able to wreak havoc against the bottom six of opposition's rosters. That's what I think made this team tick in October and, and early November. Uh, now that you know that group's together, and if they can get some run, we'll see if it can help a guy like Bo Horvat, especially as his line mate quality diminishes here. One guy that we haven't talked about, and I want to here in a sec, because he's feasting right now, is Jake Vertanen, and I will get to him in a sec. But look, it's the holiday season. If you're not feeling up to cooking and you're looking for options, uh, think about DoorDash, because DoorDash connects you to your favorite restaurants in your city. Ordering is easy. You open the DoorDash app, You choose what you want to eat, and your food's going to be delivered to you wherever you are. And right now, our listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter the promo code CANUCKS. That's $5 off your first order when you download the DoorDash app from the App Store and enter promo code CANUCKS. Don't forget, the promo code is CANUCKS for $5 off your first order from DoorDash. Jake Vertanen. I mean, there has been so much talk in this market from the day he was drafted. Uh, So many nights he leaves you wanting more. But I think it's safe to say that really in this 10-game stretch right now, he's been productive, and that's been great. More than that, though, and it goes hand-in-hand, 
he's been consistent. There's actually been a consistency to his game, and I think it goes beyond the point production. Like against Vegas, he had a couple of secondary assists. Look, they all count. They all go in his statistical columns, but you know, it, it, there seems to be a level of engagement. The shot that he scored on the other night, the one-timer, like there were a lot of people in press row that thought that was Adam Gaudet and had to do a double take, you know, a right-handed shot on that second power play unit. And there's Jake Vertanen popping water bottles. So he looks like he's got some confidence. He's getting some national pub. He was on After Hours uh, on the Hockey Night broadcast. And he seems to be in a pretty good headspace. That's the eye test. Do, do the underlying numbers sort of match what we're seeing on the surface with Jake Vertanen right now? They actually do to some extent. I mean, over the last 10 games anyway, you know, the Canucks forwards who are over 50% by uh, shot attempt differential are the lotto line and Jake Vertanen. So, you know, granted he got those two games with Miller and Pedersen, uh, so that's some, some context to keep in mind here. But when you consider that, you know, he's managed to form this line with Godet and Roussel, and there's some underlying numbers that really look ugly for that group, like their shot attempt differential. But their expected goals, which would, you know, sort of incorporate the quality and shot location information into that, likes that line a fair bit more than the shot attempt differential. We'll see sort of whether uh, those sort of metrics begin to agree as the sample size expands. It's worth watching. But anyway, that line's been full value for a Canucks team that's really struggled to find five-on-five -five offense. Uh, additionally, you know, I think his physical game's been way more consistent, and you know, he's been on the power play and he has you know obviously had that shot he had the secondary assist on the Pearson goal so there have been some good moments for him uh, there were some good moments for him on the road as well uh, you know in the San Jose and Vegas games on the power play so he hasn't looked out of place there anyway I don't know that he's you know the straw that stirs the drink on that second unit by any means but you know he's fit in he hasn't taken anything away and those are huge hugely important signs for for Vertanen the one thing that I'm beginning to watch with him is he is getting points on basically every goal that the Canucks score when he's on the ice five on five. And his goals for rate remains, you know, bottom six quality for the Canucks, which is another thing to keep in mind for, for a player who I know boy genius Harmon Dial has often said, you know, cannibalizes or can cannibalize offense for his lines. You know, he'll get his, but does everyone else get theirs? Of 400 players in the league, no player has a higher IPP than Jake Vertanen does. That's individual point percentage. That's every, basically, 94% of goals the Canucks score with Vertanen on the ice of 5-on-5, Vertanen has a, gets a point out of. NHL forwards tend to be at closer to 68%. So that, you know, effectively that would suggest that 20% of this offense is not going to continue sustainably, even if Jacob Vertanen's form, Jacob, Jake Vertanen's form continues the way it has to this point. There's clear signs of progress, but I think it's important to remember and weight the consistency of that physical play and the consistency of that five-on-five five game, the two-way abilities that Vertanen has shown over the past 10 games. I think those are what we should weight in terms of talking about him and, and evaluating his improvement as opposed to the offensive production. The offensive production is important, of course, but there are certainly signs that the extent to it the extent of it, where he is, you know, outproduced JT Miller at five on five, for example, uh, you know, that that sort of side of it, the extent of that is, frankly, likely to prove ephemeral. So you, we talk about the the gap left by the Levo absence. 
I mean, on the surface, it would be simple to say, oh, here's Jake, he's playing well. Bump him up, give him another chance with Horvat. They played a little bit together early in the season and then worry about filling lower in the lineup. But I like a lot of what I see with Godet, Roussel, and Vertanen. And look, this so happens so often in hockey. We've been saying this about a guy like Tyler Myers on defense that, you know, when slotted in his proper place, you get what you want and expect out of him, but when injuries hit and you bump him up higher in the lineup, that's when trouble starts. Are we looking at the same sort of thing applying to Jake Furtanen? Is it too simple just to say, well, he's playing well, bump him up in the lineup, or do you like him where he is with Roussel and Vertanen? I mean, with Roussel and Gaudet? Yeah, I, look, I'd be very reluctant to break up a Gaudet, Vertanen, uh, Roussel group that, you know, has. And look, Roussel's coming back still from a pretty devastating injury, so I think there's more for that line to give, just as a guy who's typically been a two-way beast kind of gets back up to speed. Uh, but with the way that they've produced offense and the struggles, that, like, put it this way, they've played a third as many minutes as the Horvat-Levo-Pearson line, and they've already outscored them in those minutes. Like, the way that they're producing offense on a team that just hasn't had enough goals five-on-five, five, you know, I just don't think you mess with that at the moment you, you know if it proves to if those bounces begin to dry up uh, and if their sort of ability to control play based on you know the territorial battle continues to struggle maybe you consider it but right now that line is generating too much to be split up I'd be extremely reluctant to to mess with it in any way as for the potential of bumping Vertanen up just remember like one of Horvat's issues here this season has been the rate at which teams are generating against him. And one of the other Canucks who tends to show poorest by those, you know, defensive underlying numbers is Vertanen. Uh, so you can understand why there'd be some reluctance there if Vertanen gets a shot on that second line. You know, it's going to be incumbent on him to really be physical, really be clever and sharp on his defensive game, on his two-way game, uh, because the circumstances that the Horvat line deals with are a lot more difficult than the circumstances that the Gaudet line deals with on a night-to-night -night basis. It would be a really big test for Jake, and I think, I think you're right. What you're talking about in this cruel league, in terms of where you're slotted, uh, you know, that, that spot on Horvat's line, I think that requires a, a level of two-way sort of gumption that maybe Vertanen hasn't always or at least consistently demonstrated. Uh, it would be a significant test for him, but look, if he keeps playing like this, if the underlying improvement continues, if the consistency improves, I don't really see who else you'd consider being the front of the line for that shot. All right, let's wrap things up here in our final podcast before Christmas. And again, as we do this, it's the game day skate ahead of the game against the Oilers, so we won't know ultimately where the Canucks are at the holiday break, but we talked right off the top about the wins over Vegas and Pittsburgh, at the very least stabilizing, allowing the Canucks to ensure that they were 2-2 two and two in these four games at home. Before the Christmas break, they've got the one game against the LA Kings out of the break, and then they're in Calgary back-to-back -back, uh, when they come off the holiday break here. When you look at where they are, though, and what this past week has done, allowing them to at least just stay within an arm's reach of that playoff pack. You wrote a couple weeks back about this being a playoff caliber team which you know it's a pretty loose term right it doesn't guarantee that they are a playoff team but essentially you were saying they're good enough to stay with the pack and then there's a number of factors that'll play out in the second half but all things considered with where 
like when we started doing these podcasts coming out of training camp in Victoria yep. and you had expectations, like where are the Canucks graded against your expectations at the holiday break? I think they've met them for the most part. I don't think I've been fully surprised by a ton of what's gone on with the team with the exception of, you know, a couple little things like <laughs> uh, Louis Erickson. No, like uh, the fourth line being a better two-way group than I expected, but maybe less productive offensively than I expected. Just some little things like that um, where I've sort of been a little bit surprised. I think the, you know, absence of Alex Edler has maybe hurt more than I thought it would with, you know, in an in a environment where you now have Quinn Hughes. Uh, but for the most part, look, I think this team is a fringe playoff team. That's what I expected them to be. I don't think they're going to be a team that only improves by three to four points over their performance last season. I think when you look at their five-on-five -five game, and, I, you know, it's funny because I'm talking about their five-on-five -five game sort of beginning to degrade, but, you know, it's even in its degraded state, they're so much better than last year. The step they've taken is significant. And, you know, based on what we saw the first six weeks of the season, there's a chance that that sort of improvement is even more significant than that if they can kind of refine something not even at that form but halfway to that form which which I suspect they can as they get healthy and as Alex Edler gets back into the lineup so overall I think you got to be pretty happy with the improvement that this team has shown I think that they are you know likely to be able to stick stick in this mix and what I sort of expect over the balance of the campaign and why this Edmonton game could be so crucial is I, I do kind of expect this to shake out into a three-way battle between the Western Canadian teams for that last Pacific Division spot. And, you know, while the wild card is still there, I kind of think that that's going to be the general parameters of the race that we'll be watching closely in the second half. And of those three teams, by the way, I do think that the Edmonton Oilers are the weakest. And so a win against a team that has defeated them twice so far, evening up the season series, I think would go a long way for this Canucks team. And, you know, it gives... This last pre-holiday game, a game where you could understand if a variety of fans are already doing other things with their families, where a variety of players are already thinking about the drive up to Whistler and on and on. Um, you know, it gives it some stakes and some importance. And, you know, I think this result could matter a ton by the time 82 games are played. Well, it's unfortunate this is strictly an audio podcast because there's no visual to accompany your red pants. You've got me feeling remarkably festive. I, I have to uh, give you the hat tip for the, uh, the reddish pants here a few days before Christmas. Uh, I know you're scattering for the holidays. Uh, we won't record another one of these until around this time next week. So uh, I'll give you the floor here in a sec. But uh, let me just say it's been a fun first half, an official first half uh, with the... Well, it was the Knox cast at one point, now the Van cast. And just getting a chance to talk hockey with you and have you back in the market. It's been terrific. So uh, all the best to you and your family here uh, over the next few days in and around Christmas and certainly to all the listeners as well. We really appreciate the support. We get great feedback. Keep it coming. Hopefully we're entertaining and engaging you uh, here in podcast form. So uh, a Merry Christmas answer to you and yours. Thanks, Jeff, and, and to you and yours as well, and, and of course to all of our loyal Nuxcast slash Vancast listeners. Um, you know, we're, we apologize that we haven't had enough minivan content of late. Uh, we're still figuring out how to make some margaritas in our Windstars, but, uh, you know, overall this has been a great experience and a lot of fun, and, 
Uh, it's been great to hear feedback from you guys and, and to hear that you're enjoying the podcast. And we'll look forward to regaling you with more stories from the road. We've got a big we've got a big trip to my former stomping grounds at the BB&T Center. Uh, we've been told to eat turkey sandwiches and, and given a variety of other instructions. Um, you know, I'm curious to hear about your trip through uh, Buffalo and Minnesota back to back in January. That sounds awful. Um, and well, I'll be I'll be excited to hear if you even make it to the game. So uh, so we'll have more stories from the road for for the VIPs and and for just our right ordinary course listeners next uh, in the second half next year. And uh, I'm really excited to to carry on with this project and track a Canucks team that again I, I really do think should have a credible playoff shot down the stretch here. On behalf of everybody here at the Athletic, again, thanks so much. Merry Christmas, season's greetings. We'll be back uh, with a new. VanCast for you in about a week's time. That's going to do it for us here from the morning skate ahead of the Canucks and the Edmonton Oilers at Rogers Arena for Drancer. It's J-Pad. Thanks so much for listening to the VanCast here on The Athletic and theathletic.com.